Everyone overestimates what happens in a week and underestimates what happens in a year. So you're going to overestimate the loss in a week, but you're going to underestimate the loss of not being consistent throughout the year and staying psyched. Hey y'all, I'm Ryan Devlin and welcome to this month's Struggle Climbing Show Coach Chat, where I connect with elite climbing coaches to talk through my personal training goals and struggles, answer listener questions, and dive into some training topics that I think are going to help you out as you navigate your own training and climbing goals. And y'all, I'm really psyched for this one today because we've got Ali Tor on the show for the first time, and this guy really knows his stuff when it comes to all things training. Ali, alongside frequent guest of the show, Tom Randall, is a founder of Lattice Training, which I personally use and think is fantastic. He has an undergrad in sports science and a master's in strength and conditioning. He also coaches some of the highest performing athletes in the world, from Olympians to big wall crushers, many of whom have been guests on this show. And as you'll hear when we start out our conversation here today, Ali's currently coaching Alex Honnold, who I just happened to be climbing with out in Vegas about a week ago crazy dream trip. I'm going to be sharing more on that soon, but Ali and I talk a little bit about it today as it pertains to some training concepts that we're talking through. We also talk about pyramid building versus going for peak grades, how to adjust our training when we're under the weather like I am right now, as you can probably hear in my voice, how much time we can take off before losing those precious gains that we've made. Ali shares a really cool training hack that'll build endurance while we're driving or watching TV. And also, he talks about CrossFit and that kind of training and how it could be useful in climbing. All of that, plus he answers some patron questions. I guarantee you are going to get a lot out of this interview. This Coach Chat's brought to you guys at zero cost. Thanks to patrons and subscribers of the show. Hi, patrons and subscribers. I love you. Thank you. Now, if you're psyched on training and climbing, I think you are going to find all the bonus content in the pro clinics that I've got for members will be really helpful. For about the price of a beer each month, you get all sorts of exclusive stuff to support you on your climbing journey, including more than 40 hours of bonus content with the likes of Adam Andra, Chris Sharma, Hazel Finley, Alex Honnold, Nina Williams, Allison Vest, Ravioli Biceps, Tom Randall, and so many more. Plus, you guys, that support is what helps me to keep the lights on over here in the podcast slash utility closet and put in all of this hard work so that I can bring you these thoughtful interviews like the one that you're about to hear. So... Real talk, if you would be willing to buy me a beer, and by the way, I will return the favor. If I see you out at the crag, I will buy you a beer. But if you're willing to buy me a beer right now, pop over to patreon.com slash the struggle climbing show and check things out. You can also subscribe right in your Apple podcast player if you're an iPhone person. You can cancel anytime. There's even a free trial going on right now. So there's like zero risk. Thank you so much for your support. It really means the world to me. And let me know what you think of all that bonus content. I'd love to hear. All right, let's geek out over a wide range of training topics with Ali Tor. You don't drink any caffeine like ever? I don't drink, well, as in I have decaf, which will always have a tiny bit in, but I pretty much drink no caffeine whatsoever anymore. So like even when uh, you're like, you need to try hard when you're doing like a big workout or climbing, like you're not going to boost? To be honest, that is the only time where I'm in the final stages of a project now, I will actually use it. Or if there's something going on where I really want it to work and my God, it actually, I feel the difference massively. Like it's yeah. a real difference for me now, whilst before... 
I'm really into my coffee. I like coffee and I would have it in every morning, have another one later on, have tea throughout the day. And now I have one cup of tea before a projecting session and I really notice it. So yeah, it, it is a good drug apparently. Yeah, no doubt. Well, I remember having conversations with a handful of athletes, but Tommy Caldwell comes to mind where he essentially does the same thing. He doesn't drink any caffeine whatsoever until he needs to go and perform at his absolute peak. And then he'll have a cup of coffee and he says he can really feel it. So strategically, caffeine makes a lot of sense. I'm on it right now because I'm dragging, but I only drink tea. I don't drink coffee so because caffeine makes me pretty jittery. So I just like a little bit of caffeine just to get going here, just so I can, I can rally as I just got back from Vegas and I'm fighting a little bit of this cold here. Look, we love Tom Randall over here. We usually talk once a month, but while he's out partying in Thailand, I think we're, we kind of lucked out that you're being willing to fill in for him. Yeah. And someone's got to have a bit of fun, don't they? And someone's got to be at home doing all the work. And yeah. That's right. <laughs> while the kids play, Ollie's at home, making sure all the trains are running on time here. Exactly. Good, man. I know we have a lot to talk about specifically kind of in the training world and looking at my training and these kinds of things, but it's a real treat to have you on the show. And since this is your first time here, we must initiate you with the opening question that I do with all athletes that join the show. And that's to ask you where you struggle personally with your climbing, what comes to mind, whether it's training or any other aspect of climbing. Uh, so my struggles with climbing, I guess they've changed quite a bit over the years, actually, which is a nice uh, acknowledgement that that's always going to happen, I think, as you change age and all of that. For me, it would be balancing aspirational elements of climbing with the fun elements around work. And that's probably quite relatable for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So a really good example is this winter for me, I was away on a, a multi-pitch sort of trad and sport trip in, in Switzerland in, in autumn, came home uh, absolutely gunning for it felt really psyched going to completely switch into bouldering because I do switch around a lot I uh, started doing it going really well then I did kind of ruin it the form a little bit by going out partying a little bit too hard but <laughs> that led into Christmas and and a really busy work period for me and I've just been working late since so I had a couple of goals for this year well I had quite an aspirational season plan but because of work's been so busy I've just had to kind of work through and I guess struggle through that decision of going, now I'm going to go to away on a trip, have fun. I might climb hard. I might not. I just want to be healthy and I want to have a really good time in some nice weather away from the UK. And that just accepting that and just going with it is probably the biggest struggle. Cause once you lean in, I always think most of the difficulties in life are when you don't actually lean into decisions and you sit in the middle and sit on the fence. But as soon as you lean into something and commit, it's usually fine. So I think that sitting on the fence moment is probably what I struggle with a lot. Well, not a lot, but it's probably a thing that comes up frequently and I've learned to deal with it better and better. Yeah. I love that perspective. Thanks for sharing that. It's not, not a perspective that I often hear, but it's certainly something that I think, as you said, is relatable for a lot of people is trying to strike the right balance between top end goals, reach goals, where there's going to be a lot of struggle and failure and two steps forward and one step back, but then ultimately a very rewarding experience, hopefully at the end. Hazel would say that we it should be rewarding all throughout the process, of course. Typically, we're thinking about topping that boulder or clipping the chains with what you're saying, which is just like maybe going out and messing around with friends and having fun. And it's something that I've struggled with as I took out a really big project this past fall. I haven't quite finished it up yet, very close, but it really occupied my entire season where I wasn't going to any other crags. 
I went to sleep every night thinking about the beta, woke up every day thinking about my health and my skin and these kinds of things. And it kind of got to the point where I was like, oh man, I'm starting to feel kind of exhausted by this and like almost missing the times of going out with friends and not having any agenda whatsoever. Though I know when I did that too much, I was kind of feeling like unfulfilled because I didn't really have anything to really sink my teeth into. So I'm, I'm curious how you've been handling that. I've got a couple of strategies that tend to work and it's usually like the kind of the bit I mentioned before is when the external kind of kicks you away from your own strategy. So one of the ones I used to do and I still effectively still do really is I spend almost, it almost works out as an entire year focusing on the top of the pyramid for me where it might be projecting, it might be a whole season, it might be a whole year where I'll try a project. It might be multiple projects. And for me, I am that uh, slightly probably older style climber. Of, I want to perform in Boulder Sport, Trad, uh, and sometimes in the mountains. And so I'll have a project in year, and then I just feel the need to just do more mileage and I end up trying to fill that pyramid underneath. So I kind of peak the pyramid, fill the pyramid, peak the pyramid. And that for me has always been really enjoyable. and because a lot of, I think one thing that's really underestimated in climbing and performance is momentum and momentum in yourself. And so if you go in project, say you do this project to yours and I hope you, hope you manage to finish the, the, off the back of that, the relaxation you'll have, the, the release of that tension, but also the form, I guarantee if you go somewhere else or you, you keep that motivation, then you'll be able to do loads more under that grade probably quicker and easier and more relaxed and more enjoyable than you've done before. So I've always kind of done that. And then when you build that mileage underneath, you allow yourself that kind of motivation for the project to build up again. So you work on the peak. So historically I've done that and then it allows me to compartmentalize the bits. But in terms of within season, like you're dealing with now, I always make sure that whatever I value in climbing is always brought in at the whole time. So. A big one for me is I want to be trying physically hard and I want to be sharing that experience with a friend or with other people. So like board sessions or bouldering sessions in a group where you're all kind of doing things you probably shouldn't be doing if you're strictly training and you're sticking by the regiment, but that's what gets me psyched. So even if I'm in a performance phase, I'll make sure I'll have some time in the week or at the crag or where I allow myself to do that. What's happened recently, which is a bit harder is when you're in one of these phases and then the work or other elements of life have to kick you out of it. And that's the bit to be careful of, I think, and not kicking yourself for it because there's for a lot of people that, well, for everyone, really, there's a lot more important things in climbing. So you've got to just let go sometimes. Yeah. Well, thank you for, for sharing that. I think that's again, going to be quite relatable for a lot of us out there who don't call climbing our profession or our career, but rather uh, an outlet from the kind of the hectic and, and stressful other parts of, of our lives. And speaking of which, I'm assuming this is probably a pretty hectic time for you with the Olympics coming up and this kind of thing and Tom off faffing around in, in Thailand. So what is like your workload to kind of personal training slash climbing looking like these days? And do the Olympics specifically play like a big role in that? Um, well, I'm used to Tom being away faffing, so that one's consistent. Uh, I'm sure he'll enjoy hearing that. So it's changed a bit for me recently. So I, so my career, I guess, and it's a funny one working in climbing and my whole life is about it really, but also it's, I'm not a climber. I'm not a professional climber by any means. So these days it, 
it was actually, I was linked in to go towards the Olympics. So I, I worked with Toby Roberts, who's qualified for the Olympics. He was wearing me for six years and the last three years we worked together all winter. And my kind of job with him was always to focus on his base, his physical preparation, getting ready for the season. So he leaves training in the best form possible. And then his dad, who's his manager, kind of worked with him for the rest of the season. They've actually, for we've, we've had different opinions on sort of things in the last season. So we've decided to go different ways. So this year's actually opened up for me. Uh, but at the moment, I have a, a small group of athletes I work with that I'm really psyched to work with. Actually, all but one outdoor athlete now. So I work oh, with them all the time. Which, yeah, it's really cool. I mean, you'll know a lot of them, a lot of familiar faces in sort of the pro scene. And it's a really enjoyable group that I, it's nice for me these days is I am really good friends with anyone who I've worked with for a long time. I'll go and stay at their house. If they're available, they'll come and stay with me. And it's built up over time like that. So I work with them, but then that is a small part of my week, really. I effectively manage the Lattice crew. I am helping develop the apps that we've got being involved in the education course that's now released, the products are involved and sort of looking after the team. So being around for that is really important. And it's very much a people-led company. So we're very much about the people first, making sure everyone's happy, healthy, having a good time. And we're progressing the industry. So I spend all my energy on that really. So my climbing effectively takes a back seat most of the time, Uh but because everyone here at Lattice can work remotely whenever they want, wherever they want. And that's something we've always tried to uphold. I am going away to Spain and working remotely for seven weeks. I'll be leaving in two weeks time. So I pretty much tried to make sure that I'm healthy before that. Been trying to train a bit. Like I said, I did have a, I did have a quite a arbitrary goal that I'd set myself before this, which I've had to kind of drop slightly. But yeah, the moment my personal training is, is probably the standard what most people do when they've got a nine to five, uh, I try to squeeze in as much as I can in the evenings, the weekends. And then I do have the the luxury of working remotely for a couple of months in Spain. That's great. Well, we touched on a lot of stuff there that I, I want to dig into a little bit more, especially um, with regard to structuring training when we're busy in different seasons and different goals and these kinds of things. But I've been working with Lattice for years now. I um, started out just kind of getting like the essentially the pre-built like sport plan through the crimped app and these kinds of things. And then started working with Roz, my coach, and we've been working together for quite some time now. And I've really been enjoying it. So my hat's off to you for what you all are building over there. That that people first mentality is quite apparent with the hijinks that seem to go around the lattice offices when I see the videos of you all, your Christmas videos or just the various kind of ridiculous things that you all are doing. It looks like you have a bit of fun over there, which I think can be good because the sport can take itself pretty seriously. But at the end of the day, a lot of us are really just trying to do this because we're passionate about it. And we want to have a lot of fun. Yeah. It's so funny when you, uh, you know, I, I mean, it's kind of, we've always got good banter in the office and it's and not, well, I hope it's a really nice place to work. But when I've seen some of the media stunts that are going on, I'm like, oh my God, we're paying these people to drag each other around on the mats in a Santa outfit or something like this. And I love it. It, does, it makes me laugh so much. But it's interesting you said about actually, you, you mentioned obviously Roz and before today I had a quick look at your plan and it just reminded me how cool it is. And I'm not sure if people know this, but we, everyone that coaches in the Lattice, so we have a coaching team supported by the team like the developers and so on. But the coaching team, we never ask everyone to do things the same way. Like 
people aren't robots and everyone has their own style. And I have my own style of coaching. Roz has her own style of coaching. But we, the way that we maintain quality is one, we do education every week or every other week with the whole team. Someone presents, we get external people in from all over the world, all over different sports. But we also do quality checks with each other's plans. So a couple of weeks ago, I had one of the guys on the team randomly picked one of my clients, randomly picked a plan, looked at some of the communication and just tore it apart and uh, sat, sat me down and said, so why have you done this? Why have you done that? Can you explain this to me? And it's so good. It's, it's really cool because then he walks away and goes, oh, I'm going to use this with my client because I've not thought about that. And he suggested things to me and like looking at your plan with Ros, I'm like, oh my God, that's a really good idea. She's linked those two sessions together. That's quite nice. I might do that with my client. And that's what's so cool about it. Well, that's great. It's really cool how collaborative you all are. And let's dive in. I think there's so much I want to talk about. And there's a lot of listener questions as well. But speaking of kind of just being out in Vegas, this was like this dream trip for me. I just went out for a couple of days. I did a thing with Alex. And then I did like a board session day with ravioli biceps. And so one was kind of route climbing steep up at the Clear Light Cave. Have you climbed out there? I've not actually climbed around Vegas yet. No, I'm, I'm really psyched to. I've, I've kind of been in the area uh, around Utah and stuff, but um, not part of that section. But I've had quite a few clients in the area, so I've seen uh, some of the steepness of the caves that they're on. Yeah, well, it's just got everything, especially for somebody like yourself, where you really enjoy all aspects of climbing. There's obviously world-class bouldering, incredible multi-pitch and trad, and then you've got the really steep limestone caves that are up at elevation there. So I always like overdo it when I go out there. And I did. So people can probably hear in my voice that I, I, I came back, I'm under the weather. And so since it's very top of mind for me, I'm, I'm curious what your perspective is with your clients uh, when it comes to being sick, because I got all these things in my app that like, you know, I'm supposed to be doing. And it's really hard for us to, I, I feel like climbers just kind of in a general population, like we, we tend to get a little obsessive with our training and almost like get neurotic about trying to check off the things on our list. So as I've got a whole bunch of things that I'm supposed to be doing for the rest of the week here, but I'm fighting a cold, what do you, what's your recommendation? So I guess my recommendation is I'll always, I won't just go back to a normal level of what you should do. I'll go be slightly more extreme in what I say as a coach, because I know that you'll take that to where 80% of what I've suggested. So that's kind of the insider version of it. Pretty much you just need to back off because it's a bit like injury. You could just push through. You might be okay. But I mean, these are the circumstances. You could push through and have even more time off. You could rest and you'll definitely be okay. Or you could rest and it'll take the same time as if you'd push through to get better. And all you've done in the worst case scenario of resting is missed out on a couple of days of training. And we know that consistency and time is what affects the body, not just missing three sessions in one week. Mm. So... When you look at risk reward, then it kind of is completely logical just to back off. So my recommendation would be pick all the easiest sessions out in your plan. You can do them the same volume, but just reduce them even further in intensity. So you're still engaging those muscles. You're feeling like you're involved in your training. I know you, I think you're doing flexibility quite a bit at the moment. So I think yeah. you can definitely do those elements, but still again, just do it lighter. And just be respectful of your body. I mean, you've got this fantastic immune system that's been evolved to tackle these things. And if you were historically, you'd be lying down just trying to relax and think about trying to recover. So we've got this 
new world where you're you're pushing in the caffeine trying to get psyched up to to push through the illness you're probably eating slightly more sugar than normal just to give yourself a little boost and there's all these things that we stimulate ourselves with to, to avoid what the body wants and that's just a bit of rest so my advice is always respect the body the bad sides massively outweigh the good sides of, of resting versus carrying on you're not going to lose any gains in a week so just play it easy and then build up from there like the start of a training plan you can still do exactly the same part of your plan that's also an important thing is you might not hit the same part of the mesocycle exactly the same but you can still do everything that's on there just do it slightly easier and then allow it to ramp up and what tends to happen is your body bounces back and it bounces back better than ever what happens if most people carry on is you carry on in the hole and then you dig yourself back to neutral rather than having the bounce back that your body's designed to do yeah, you mentioned essentially taking a few days off or a week off isn't going to interrupt the gains or halt the gains. And this is something that comes up quite often in, in conversations where people will email me about, which is like, oh, I'm going to take a vacation. Should I bring my paying board with me? And, or what should I be doing while I'm in Hawaii and this kind of thing? And I feel, again, I feel the same like pinch. Like we go on vacation, like spring break with the kids. And I'm like, oh, well, maybe I'll just bring my pinch block and I'll just do some stuff here and there. Part of that is kind of mental in that it makes me gives me comfort to think oh, okay I'm just keeping the fingers tuned up a little bit while I'm drinking beers and sitting on the beach but it, it also can be a little bit stressful because I'm still thinking about like oh am I losing all these gains that I've worked so hard for the past three months so do you have a sense for essentially how much time one can take off without essentially starting to kind of unwind or lose the progress and is that even the right question does it even matter I guess uh, I think it it definitely matters because of the the stress and the mental element involved. Because if I say the research says you do not need to worry for a week, you're not going to just take it on that. You need to build trust in that system. But with that in mind, so I, I, I wrote a paper a few years ago in terms of what powerlifters can do and in terms of different strength gains and then also looked into it for endurance and the cessation, so stopping training because there are a lot of other sports looking into this when they go travel to the Olympics or to qualifiers or whatever. So in terms of physiologically, power is probably going to be the first thing to go. And that can go within somewhere between five days, two weeks. It can start to just slowly drop off. And that depends on your training history, depends on you as an athlete, politicians answer, it's all individual, blah, blah, blah. Sure. But if we look at like systemically, because most people listening aren't going to know all that stuff about themselves straight away, power is going to be the first thing to go. So if you ever want to do anything, just before leaving, if you wanted to do something on a beach or you wanted to have time off fully and you're working in a power zone, it's making sure that you try and top that up either side of the trip. But after that, your strength base, it should take quite a long time to go really. We're talking like max strength will go within sort of two weeks and power lifters historically can have two weeks of no training, absolutely no training whatsoever, and they'll still be at the same level or better having done nothing for two weeks. And that's been found in several research and anecdotal research studies. Or um, better, you're saying. So just like the rest is helping to even yeah, improve? Yeah. If you're at the end of a training cycle, say if you time your mesocycles, you're on week three or week four, then you have a two-week holiday, you could come back feeling better. The difference is that in a lot of climbing, because it's so skill-based, is we feel sluggish and we don't move very well. And that's usually the feelings that we have is something slightly wrong and or your diet's kind of gone to crap whilst you're away, which is totally fine. So that might help as well. 
and uh, sure. make you feel better. But yeah, so in terms of max strength, you're looking at around two weeks. Strength could be up to sort of a month or beyond. Endurance, your top end endurance comes and goes quite quickly as well. We're talking like several weeks though. And then your base endurance will take several months if you've got a good training history. Even like adaptation to high altitudes, someone trains at high altitude, it still takes two and a half weeks for all of those physiological changes, which is just literally blood cells, which turn over so much. That still takes two and a half weeks to change. So the main thing is, if you're having that time off, you will be fine. You might feel sluggish when you get back, but don't worry so much. And if you're really nervous and you've got peak, you've planned your holidays badly, you've got a family holiday and you then you're into peak season straight away and you're doing a power-based exercise, do some power pull-ups, power press-ups, and that's it on the trip and you'll be totally fine. Yeah, we get this question quite a lot and I really appreciate that feeling, that kind of guilt behind it. it is a, right. It's a feeling of guilt, isn't it? Being like, I'm being so lazy and I've drank so many beers today and so on, but just look at the big picture. Everyone overestimates what happens in a week and underestimates what happens in a year. So you're going to overestimate the loss in a week, but you're going to underestimate the loss of not being consistent throughout the year and staying psyched. So give yourself the time off. I love it. All right. I will take a few days off then to recover <laughs> from this cold and also this trip to Vegas where I really like destroyed myself anyway. Like I think I need to recover. I, I'm not, I don't typically climb that hard with my friends as I do when I'm climbing with Alex Honnold or Ravioli biceps. So as a guy in his mid forties, although Alex and I were making a lot of dad jokes, there was, there were plenty of dad jokes going around the crag as he's got his second on the way here. It's oh, go so ahead. good those moments, isn't it? Where you like, you've gone completely off plan and you've been pretty structured. It sounds like you've been projecting, you're on a plan, but you've got to have those weeks where you're just like, oh, I've done way more than ever, but it's been so much fun. And cause this, or this, you're going to have some time off now you've been ill, but like having a couple of days off this week. I always, this is my personal opinion on this. And I think if, if I was working with an Olympic athlete in the lead up to the Olympics, it'd be slightly different, but a couple of days off this week, cause you're ill, because you pushed too hard last week and had such a good time. That to me is a, a like a two to one enjoyment to downtime ratio. It's not like it's so worth it, isn't it? Cause you're going to remember that week for quite a long time. And I guarantee in a two months time, you're not going to remember having a couple of days off of being feeling a bit ill. And I, I, that's the thing to keep remembering. You'll remember that holiday for having such a good time on it, but you won't remember the bit of, if you did a, a fingerboard session on it, was stressing about the week or something. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, a hundred percent. I appreciate that, that perspective. And, and that's good for me to remind myself of, cause it, it was just an unforgettable couple of days. I mean, I'll, I'll be fueled by that adventure for quite some time. And I also performed better than I've ever performed up at the Clear Light Cave. It's a really hard place for me to climb. It's crazy steep. It's limestone. I'm used to sandstone. So like my feet are always sliming off and scumming off of things. And and when I was out there with Alex, um, I actually performed very well. I was really happy with it. Um, he was very complimentary, which was nice. He, he I've been out there every year for the past few years. And, and so he saw clearly the improvement that I've had year over year. And as did I, because it's like this one really hard route for me out there that I just keep trying to chip away at. And his joke is like, yeah, sure, you know, come out one day a year and see how many years it takes you to send this thing. But with the kids and all that, it's, I just take what I can get. What was interesting while we were out there, Ollie, was we were working on different projects. He was working on this super long link up and he was kind of under the weather. And so his joke was like, he had this main goal 
at the clear light cave. I think it's like a nine A maybe, but he wasn't feeling fit and strong. So he kind of bumped it down to like a smaller goal. But then he got on that and he wasn't really feeling good on that. So he like bumped it down to a different route where it was even an easier goal. So essentially just kind of adjusting his goals based on how he felt. And I haven't done that. Every time I go out there, I just throw my head against this like one really hard route for myself. And yeah, I'm curious from a a coach's perspective, like when you're working with him, is it like, yeah, adjust your goals based on how you feel? Or do you feel it's important to kind of keep the, the big goal in mind and use that as a test on kind of where we're at with our strength and our fitness. It kind of depends on, slightly depends on the person, but I also think it depends on how much you've pushed them at certain points before that. So a really good example, say for Alex with this, he's someone who's, it does a lot of climbing. It seems like he he needs kind of like a regular sort of tick and he needs, and I know a lot of really good athletes that they need to feel kind of like doing a lot of moves in a row, not just hanging on a rope, particularly root climbers. Like it's nice to feel that that flow, that movement. And I think that's really important. And if you don't have that and it's something that's really important to you and it's something you value, feeling that that nice element of climbing, then you can't just keep hitting your brick head against a brick wall for too long. That being said, it can sometimes mean that people spend too much time having a quick play on a, on a hard project and then they let themselves drop off or they go to another crag and they don't stick with it. So it's a constant juggling act. And for me as a coach, it's all about Okay, can I push them, nudge them into staying on it longer on the hard thing, but then also allowing them when they, when you can really tell those tells in a person that they need something else is nudging them in the other direction or allowing them to do that. And it's always a conversation. I think sometimes as well, what we often find is when you are in a training phase like Alex is, and for Alex as well, which I think he he himself will say this, he doesn't let himself off lightly I don't think he's just come back from that trip in Alaska doing the massive bike trip right and um, which is completely exhausting and, and has pushed his body through a lot and he's able to flip it around and try something hard straight away but a lot of what we see in training and a lot of what we see in performance it can have delayed responses so you might have a an upcycle in performance but then fatigue from something previously come manifest later on so the same with projecting as well, by dropping the project now, letting yourself to recover, that might be the thing that allows you to perform on the harder projects in a month's time. And the more we as coaches get to know the athletes we work with, the more we can kind of time those cycles and time those waves, and the more the athlete knows himself. It's just, is frustrating if you're not sure what's going on. And I can really appreciate the frustration. And I've had it myself and, and with athletes trying to predict those waves in performance. So yeah. Unfortunately, it comes down to figuring out where your natural uh, mindset lies and always push a little bit more into the uncomfortable than you want. If you naturally want to drop off too early, I'd say stick with it a bit longer. If if your friends are saying, oh, you've had quite a lot of sessions on there, then maybe drop it off a bit quicker. And you can usually use people's responses around you to judge that. Thank you. One of the things that I think both of us uh, have been putting a focus on was kind of working on top end power. And when I spoke with Tom about a month ago, I brought him up to speed on where I was at with the project, which is essentially it's this 13A that's got some real hard boulder problems down low, and then a bit of a power endurance run to the chains with a red point crux, two moves before the chains, it's maybe like a V3. And so every session out there for the past five or six sessions, I've gone from ground to those last two moves and come off three times. So I just keep going from the ground to those last 
two or three moves and then I come off. And so I thought kind of it was like maybe an endurance. I needed to build up some endurance. And Tom's perspective was, no, you've got the fitness. If you're going from ground up through that 13A almost completely three times, you probably need to top up your power. And so he was suggesting maybe I take a little time and work on the moon board and these kinds of things. So that's what I have been doing. Of course, I did that moon board session with Ravioli, but also with Alex, um, we, you know, on a different day, kind of just like a little like training hangout day, we were just kind of messing around on like the kilter board. And I noticed he was doing some like some kilter sets, but just campusing them. And so like I tried that because I'd never done that. I never like just campused around on a kilter board. And so, yeah, I'm curious whether it's with Alex or other clients or just based on what I just told you, what are some ways other than climbing moonboard problems, which is what I have been doing to work on that top end power, which maybe will unlock those last couple moves for me. Yeah, so I guess like for, for me, so board climbing is a really good place, but you can definitely do the same principles at a bouldering wall. Uh, what Alex was doing was sort of footless boulders, which we obviously know the history behind a campus board, but it's a very uh, uniformed plane of movement and I think it has its value. But in terms of doing a variety of moves, a variety of contact strength of different types of holds and coordinating those movements, footless boulders is a brilliant way of doing it. It's really fun. And for those climbers who are really good on their feet and really good at sort of taking a lot of load through their lower back. It means that we load their lats and upper body way more and provides a bit more pop in that. So when you kind of, when, if you're trying to do a, a campus move, everyone will probably notice that they kind of pull up very slightly, then they drop down and then they do a bigger pull and that stretch shortened cycle in their upper body is what creates some of that elastic sort of strength that helps propel you up. Now, if you've always got your feet on, you don't tend to do that quite as much. So the footless boulder stuff really helps with that. That being said, doing the stuff on the moon board, one of the big things to do if you are just climbing normally is trying to drop the level very slightly from that max strength, but then doing more repetitions of them and um, doing sort of exercises where you're doing repeats of something slightly under. And that's kind of the equivalent of rather than turning up and trying to do the hardest Olympic lift you, you can do, which is a high skill-based movement and it's a heavy load. You do repetitions of, say, deadlifts or whatever, like you, most people are doing in a gym to build that strength up and then go back to the technical side. So on the moon board, it might be five sets of three problems. It could be doing four sets of different styles of climbs and then trying to repeat them in a better style. And then other exercises are just going to come back down to sort of basic conditioning and, and, and climbing. But those sorts of ones I find really useful. If what kind of style is the the V three crux then? What give me some more uh, specifics and we'll see if we can give yeah, you a it's, it kicks back a little bit the angle. I mean, the climb itself is maybe at twenty five degrees or something like that, not incredibly steep compared to what I would typically climb at the red. But then just that last chain run after you clip the last bolt, it kicks back to maybe thirty degrees and it's reachy, pockety two finger pockets. Basically, it's kind of sequential reachy two finger pockets. And the last move, the one that keeps punting me off, is you reach up really high, kind of do a little bit of a left drop knee, and then you kind of have to hook it. It's like this protected pocket, and you have to hook two fingers like uh, kind of on the inside of it, almost at like three o'clock. It's like a side pull and hold the tension as you step through, and then you're kind of like throwing to a jug. And it's just been very hard for me to kind of, it's like maybe four moves in a row of those like two or three finger pockets that are pretty reachy, and I'll feel really good at the rest. I'll be shaken out. And, and feeling pretty good. And then like, I just punch up into that last sequence and I just feel everything like the tank goes to zero so quick. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I guess in terms of topping up that top end strength side of things, 
and I can't quite remember. I do remember looking at your plan earlier today, but like body tension exercises where you sort of keep your hands in the same place and you uh, move your feet around or keep your feet in the same place, move your hands around. That's a really good skill specific way of building that body tension for that style of movement where effectively you're dead pointing, but if you lost tension, you wouldn't be able to stay on. Right. And I think with those really specific moves, it's a really good way of developing that strength in a specific zone. The way to develop that even further is creating a, a problem which involves that almost like a replica where you've got a strict rule behind it. So choose something easier on, on a board or a bouldering wall that you can do normally, provide it, add a rule to that where you're not allowed to cut loose, even though the problem kind of wants you to cut loose and then repeat that as well. And I think you'll build up the acumen of being able to do that style of movement. And then the next thing would be to kind of bring it back away from the strength and power zone. And it sounds like that anaerobic level again, so just top up the ability to repeat that style of problem. So do it once and then maybe do bolder doubles where once you've got it wired and you know that movement pattern, try and do it twice in a row and build the ability to kind of do it in a slightly fatigued state. It does sound like you're fit enough to do the climb. Maybe there's like a, a mental element to it. There might be a, a movement element, but the main thing is being able to, I think what the reason why strength and power works so well at this point is it's something that's quite easy to feel a change in if you can adapt to it in time so if you feel a move or something or a hold when you're warming up and you do it bolt to bolt and it feels different the confidence that gives you provides you with a bit of momentum and that'll take you up so that's probably like another element of that strength and power work and why replica stuff is so good because it's a lot about that confidence yeah yeah thank you I'm going to implement both of those, I think. And Roz had for me a stretch, this was in my last plan, where I was keeping my hands in the same place and kind of walking my feet around on different holds. And I, I definitely felt like the tension that was required. And um, she pulled out a lot of my like core, just like floor work and that kind of thing in season, I think probably to reduce fatigue and in, in, in this kind of thing, but kept some of that stuff in there. Um, so yeah, maybe I'll, I'll mess around with a little bit of that as part of my warm up too, as I'm still focusing on the board work. And yeah, that's a good point is you can do all these things as part of the warm-up. Say if you want, you've got a, an easy max board session or something with a little bit less structure, the warm-ups can be the most structured thing of the day. And I personally do that. My fingerboarding, my little bits of stretching and stuff, I'm really structured in my warm-ups because it means I can get in the quote-unquote training bit and then I'll allow myself to have a bit more of a relaxed session and then I might do a bit more structure at the end. And I think with movement pattern stuff, doing that at the start, well, it'll transfer to the rest of the session anyway. Mm, yeah, good stuff. Thanks, man. All right. Well, as soon as I recover from this cold, I'll, I'll implement some of that. First, I'll take your advice and, and get some rest. I want to bring in some listener questions here since I got a load of them. I won't be able to get to all of them, but I'll try to crank through a few here. Maxime writes, Hi, I went from no experience to 6B in six months, but I've hit a plateau because I lack finger strength. As a beginner, would you recommend climbing four days a week like I do now? or split between climbing sessions and pure strength training outside of a wall? I would say that if she's got four days a week to train and it could be split half and half or all at the climbing wall, I'd say personally at that level, I would still do four days at the climbing wall. And you can always add in little bits of conditioning, which are more calisthenics if they don't have a gym there. But I would probably try to, if finger strength feels like a major limiting factor, is try to define the intent of the climbing sessions in a more defined way. So that could be climbing socially two, three times a week still. But one of those days is, okay, I'm going to 
look at the grade if it's font 6b or whatever bouldering grade go bouldering instead and go okay those problems they feel hard for my fingers and i want to try and if i can just do them i'm going to have a rest then i'm going to try and repeat it and look for those ones that challenge that grip strength and build up that grip strength whilst at the climbing wall because you'll build the grip strength by trying something that's hard for your fingers but you'll also when you start to slightly fatigue on your fingers you'll learn the elements of technique as well that allow you to get through those climbs so it's a at that level of your climbing and at that early stage, the skill part of it is so important that it's not worth compromising that, in my opinion, to do anything else away from the wall. In terms of it is climbing a lot, four days a week when you've been climbing for six months. So with this in mind, your finger strength, it is going to take time. Tendons take time to get stronger. Your forearm muscles have had six months to adapt. Your tendons are probably only on the feeling the initial impact of that six months. So realistically, you could just carry on and, and I reckon you'll be seeing gains anyway. So take what I've said in mind with trying to do things challenging for the fingers, but also be aware that they are going to be more and more vulnerable because they need a little bit of time to catch up with the amount of volume you're doing. So yeah, be respectful for them in the same way. Great. Appreciate that. It goes a little bit hand in hand with this next question that came in from Jerem who writes, so much emphasis is put on finger strength. What, in your opinion or experience, is more important than finger strength? Is there such thing as more important than finger strength, Ali? <laughs> Just in life. But it's hard to <laughs> think, isn't it? Family is usually second now. <laughs> totally. So I would say your enjoyment and, and motivation, I know that's a bit of a fluffy answer, but it comes back to that whole point again. If this other lady, I, I can't remember her name, who just asked the previous question, if she started doing too much structure now and she started focusing purely on finger strength and she did a strict training plan of fingerboarding three times a week, going to the gym twice a week, also going to the wall, doing one social session, the likelihood is she'll make, she could make gains and it, but is that going to keep her in climbing for a longer period of time? Is she going to enjoy that process? So, in which case, if you focus on what you enjoy and the motivation behind that, you're going to get the finger strength later on. Now, I think it's the same with, that's exactly the same with pro athletes. And I would say it's the same with Alex Honnold, who is, he's got elements of, he enjoys climbing. He loves climbing. He wants to be outside. And he said to me, when we started the plan, again, started training, he's, I'm going outside X amount of days per week. I'm really psyched to have long-term gains. I want to see improvements, particularly in finger strength, but I'm climbing because I want to climb. So if we were looking at that and I said, no, Alex, finger strength's more important than your enjoyment going outside, I'm pretty sure, sure he'd tell me where to, where to head off. So yeah, your enjoyment and motivation is more important than finger strength. The other element, which I think some, if people are a bit more geeky about this, that's actually coming up quite close behind finger strength is your critical force and your base kind of endurance and session fitness in terms of, again, if you want to be geeky about it in terms of research that actually has a little bit less power in the statistics, but it's still extremely predictive. So, and how do you get better power capacity power? That is just doing a lot of volume, doing time on the wall and the amount of years you've been climbing and trying to keep that consistent again. So the amount your ability to keep going and your session fitness and your base endurance, and that all comes with time as well. Which comes how back how to, easy are those sessions? Is that like an arc session where it's real, like you're not feeling pumped whatsoever? Or 
are, are you pushing yourself a little bit more, just not to the max strength? For a lot of people starting out, just climbing as, as much as possible. And that does mean you'll have to drop the intensity a lot. Mm-hmm. So if you want to have a better critical force, uh, you want to be spending as much time on the wall as possible. So for most athletes or for most climbers that are starting out, they can't be doing hard, hard sessions all the time. So you could literally be doing anything. And this is something that's been popularized locally recently because a good friend of mine has been doing it and uh, we've talked about it on, on, in other areas. So he's been doing carking, which is, he's got a little pincher, wooden two blocks where you pinch it together and it's got a little spring between it. And it's called carking because it's like arcing, but he used to do it while he's driving. And one of the guys on the team did this. He used to drive to his project down south four hours and just be sitting in the car going, just with this, this little thing. And their critical force, their base endurance by doing that went up massively. And you can do that in front of the telly, like I do it with a little edge in front of the telly in the evenings. So if you want a fast, easy, low stress way of getting base endurance, you hold a little edge or a weight with a, that's being pulled down slightly and you literally do little crimpers with your pull-ups with your fingers. And you can do that for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, and that's almost as good as arcing on the wall doing base endurance. And it means you don't have to be scared around on easy climbing. So... If you can do that, if anyone wants to give it a go, try and get one hour a week in or two hours a week done. That can be in 10 minute blocks. It could be in 20 minute blocks. And I'll pretty much guarantee if you do that in your base season, you'll get more endurance. But if you're doing it in a finger strength power season, it's probably not the best time to do it. Got it. I love that hack though, especially for busy people, whether it's you've got a long commute, like uh, you were mentioning there with your friend, but also... I do a lot of conference calls and these kinds of things. So it's something that can be done. Now, would it be similar if you're just like squeezing a putty or a ball or whatever? Like it's, it doesn't necessarily have to be an edge that you're pulling on. It's just working the forearms at a very sub-maximal load. Yeah, you're pretty much trying to increase a little bit blood flow to the forearms and that increase in tension will make some of those adaptations to the forearms that you need for a base endurance. It's a real actual hack. And I think... If someone's new to climbing, say you're in the first couple of years, please combine that with actual endurance climbing where you learn the skills of relaxing on the wall and learning how to rest. But I mean, we're talking about just adding extra things in at the lowest intensity. I'm currently doing it. I'll do it in the evenings whilst watching TV or I've got a little thing in the office and I'll be doing that slightly. I'll do it in pocket grips as well, just because I'm going to Margalef soon. And it is just a, it's a nice thing where you feel active in that role. If you're a really experienced top-end climber, you can do way more of the intense stuff and that'll work on your critical force as well because you can do you know, six-hour sessions where you're doing a lot of volume. This is why sort of like a lot of those Japanese climbers and competition climbers have such a good base is they've done it from a young age, but the amount of time they're in the wall bouldering effectively does the same thing as what the rest of us have to do at a low intensity with a little bit of putty. I love it. Oh, great hack. Okay, good. Well, let's keep moving here. Ferdinand asks, have you ever had a bad injury that you were not able to climb for maybe months? And how did you handle that? And if not, how would you hypothetically have managed the mental struggle coming from having to take that much time off? I'm trying to count how many injuries I've had like that. I've had... Oh, no. I've, I've been quite lucky. I mean, I don't think you ever have to stop climbing unless it's a pretty severe injury. But even then, even then you can still do something. I would say that probably the... I find it hardest, it's a bit of a weird way of answering this, but I find it hardest when you have the middle level of injury 
where it persists for a very long time and you have to adapt your climbing, but then it feels okay on certain positions and then on other positions, it'll suddenly just flare up or be painful. Mm. So I had that with last year, earlier last year, I tore a lumbricle in my hand and it was something where it felt really painful, but I had an amazing trip to Greece almost a month later because I just didn't allow my pinky to separate from my ring finger on any hold. I couldn't on-site because I couldn't risk grabbing a hold which it wasn't on. But I climbed this a quite hard level for me with four fingers on, so I managed to adapt to that. When I've had finger injuries in the past where I've had to keep adapting, you always just got to stay positive in terms of what you can do in those moments and try and look at that. On the other hand, I know I've, I've got a client at the moment who, who lives in Colorado who's just had surgery on a wrist injury, and really unfortunate, and he'll be out for a couple of months of no training that wrist but if you work he, he's psyched he's working the other arm because if you train your uninjured side neurologically you stay recruited on the injured side they found that in quite a bit of research really? he's focused on his fingers uh, his flexibility other elements of his uh, profile and just thinking about other parts of his life because a lot of what holds us back like i said at the start of this podcast is other things that come into your life that are getting in the way of your climbing and your performance and your enjoyment so you could probably get into better habits and tie things up in other areas, clean up your diet, whatever you want to do when you've not focused on the climbing. Uh, I know when I've got less stress on, less work stress, or when I'm eating better, I climb better. So when's the best time to focus on that when you're not absolutely frothing to get to the wall every day because you've got an injury? So yeah, I would say there's always something you can do and there's no excuse not to do it other than the fact that if you need some time off and you want to do another sport or something else, then go with your motivation, but there's always something you can do to improve during an injury. There's so many aspects to climbing that we can focus on. Sometimes it can be a gift to not uh, be able to focus on the, the thing that's most apparent. Let's move on a couple more here and we'll get you out. Cause I know you got a lot to do here. Juice writes, J-U-S, juice, ju, juice, <laughs> sorry. They write, how do you strike the balance between training and recovery? How do you know when to train again and how hard to train? I usually struggle taking enough rest. And as an extra question, do you have any tips on how to not overdo it when climbing with friends, especially when you know you should have a light session? Oh, psych. The psych me. just takes over. I know, I know. I would, I would definitely not avoid that all the time for a start. I think I'm a firm believer, like I said earlier, that the thrash and the, the time with your friends is really important. So don't just write that one off. Um, so effectively, you can't over recover really ever but you can always overtrain. So I think if you, I guess one easy way, and I guess, and probably come back to this rather than kind of thinking about too many strategies is this person's asked this question because they are aware that they've got a habit or a behavior pattern that's doing this. So that's happening. So you need to provide some kind of backstops to that because if you don't have backstops, that's where your natural behavior will fall back into. So that could be providing a number limit on a certain type of session. So for me, I have quite tweaky fingers these days in a certain grip position and our training board here sets it off better than anywhere else in the world. So I cannot go on that more than twice a week. That is a flat out rule for me. That to me, even if I'm training elsewhere, my recovery for my fingers is far less compromised by not going over those two sessions a week than allowing myself to do other things. So that's a, a backstop for me. I tell 
my wife, my climbing partners, that, and then they can still tell me in the third session, they go, look, you have told us this. And I'm like, yeah, I know I'll stop in an hour, but it's, it's one of those, it's, you're accepting that you've provided accountability. So for, right. for this person, it's when they're aware that they're starting to overtrain, what are those key things? When you look at the past, what was the tipping point? What was the tipping point session or the style of climbing? Cause you can probably still climb the same frequency, but what is the style or the overtraining that's actually happening? Is it the conditioning element? Is it the, you go into the same part of the boulder wall? Is it you're hanging out with the same people? And it might mean just limiting part of that. The way that you know it is when you're consistently seeing it down, down ramp or decline in your performance and increase in fatigue. And that persists for even throughout small periods of rest. So if you take two, three days off and you come back and then after a session or two, it's still going down, that means it's becoming more chronic. It's all right to feel fatigued and to go down in your performance. I mean, you know what it's like week three of a training plan, you tend to feel absolutely rubbish. And then you take a rest week and you come back and you still feel a bit sluggish and you're going, God, is this even working? These points do happen, but we're looking at consistency over several weeks or, or months of that. And just, again, I think deload weeks are, are massive or deload periods, half weeks, they go a long way. So add those in. The, what was the second part of the question? How to, how to not get overstoked when you want to have a light session, but you're out with your friends. Turn up late. That's <laughs> the easiest way. If you turn up late and then you have a, you have to make sure you do warm up still though, so you don't rush the warm up. They're already been going for a bit. Then you start peaking when they're on the downcline, you feel great about yourself. And then you end up stopping early. That's great. It's the easiest tactic to get around it. <laughs> I love it. Well, aside from trying to find hacks on performing better than our friends when we're having a session, although that's a good <laughs> one, I've always struggled myself with, or just been curious with the structuring of my training over the course of a week. And if there's a benefit like physiologically to doing more training on one day so that I can take a full day off the next day or kind of separating it. So if I've got a board session and I've got uh, an endurance session, could I, if my schedule allows with work and family and that kind of thing, do a board session in the morning on day one and then an endurance session in the evening on day one and then take day two off or split those in board session day one, endurance session day two. Is there any science behind that? There's, there is science between sort of the conflicting effects um, between endurance and, and the strength training and there's ways of working around that in a good plan in terms of doing interval style training so you don't upset the, the signals to the cell from the strength training. But I think the best evidence, I, for me, strength training more frequently is a big thing, like even if it's slightly lower intensity, but the frequency makes a huge difference. And the same with that sort of endurance level. So I tend to side towards more frequency over huge days, but that being said, I think you've just got to go for the evidence of yourself. I, there's so many people that doesn't work for, and it could come down to skin. If you've got bad, if you've naturally got wetter skin, it's definitely better off having a day for it to recover than going into the next strength session, having done some time on endurance with that slightly, slightly thinner skin. Cause as much as we want to say that it's only skin and it's not that painful, we all back off a little bit on really snatchy holds. So I think it, I would look at what you've already done see when you're performing really well, try to separate the sessions that you did at that time and then see what works for you. But yeah, base it, base it on more than just the factors of climbing and the physiological science, base it on stuff to do with skin 
to do with motivation logistics. I mean, a prime example is if you drive to the wall and it takes 20 minutes or whatever, or 30 minutes, and you do that more frequently, that's another hour in the car sitting down. That's cost you more time, less time focused on relaxation during recovery, nutrition. You could be flex stretching for an hour the next day rather than adding stretching to the back end of driving day. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of things that go into that decision. And I would always go like zoom right out and look at it from the big picture first. Thank you. Yeah. That, that's helpful for me. Okay. Last question here. And we can, then we can do just like a little bit of a wrap up here. Connor asks, any tips for off the wall training for off width or chimney climbing? I'm trying to maintain fitness for long multi-pitch trad routes, despite only having access to an indoor climbing gym 99% of the year, one that doesn't have any crack features. I'd like to feel strong on the few trips outdoors that we're able to make, which usually involve long classic routes with a bit of the wide. Well, nice. Tom's off duty, so you're going to have to step in and, and put on your cracked climbing hat here. Well, yeah, look, luckily I've, I've been in the creek a bit, so I'll, uh, I'll be able to kick in a little bit. So I, I think a type of training, particularly for those classic star routes, is kind of going for circuit training, you know, old school circuit training or CrossFit style training. The movements involved almost don't matter as much as just being in that slightly anaerobic zone of lactic acid in your system and then being able to just have intervals or time off and, and change the movement. So you're still going, but the, that part of your body is recovering whilst you're working something else. and if anyone's been in an off width and you start feeling that you're breathing really heavily, you're still holding tension so you can't quite get a full breath in and you're building up that kind of burning feeling in your muscles or you're on a long route and you just hold up your bag behind you or the ropes and then you've got to go again and you're moving quite quickly. It's always this quite cardio style climbing, but there's a little bit of anaerobic level in there. There's a bit of waste products that you're trying to work through. And if you look at uh, people that do CrossFit or circuit training where you do push-ups, pull-ups, crunches, squats, and you just do it in a circuit, it kind of works you exactly in the same way. It works every muscle all at once. It gets you good at buffering that waste product. It gets your cardio system working really well. And it gets you used to being in that zone of slightly out of breath, but still having to do something and think about what you're doing. To me, that's a really good way of doing it. I do it the same with, I used to do a lot of that in the base season with climbers as well just because they need to be able to keep performing back to back when they're starting to feel tired and, and execute those movements. And comp athletes are really good at the blue collar style climbing for that reason. So yeah, I would off the wall circuit training, CrossFit style stuff, and it doesn't have to be heavy weights either. Just continually hit the burning point and keep going. Oh, it sounds so gross. Oh, I love it. It's the best type of training ever. <laughs> Four by squads and circuit training. You couldn't beat that. Just a bunch of people that want to outperform each other in that for a couple of hours is the best thing in the world. Oh, man. Well, there's this classic multi-pitch out in Vegas that I did. It's the hardest multi-pitch I've ever done. It's called epinephrine. I think it goes 5.9. It's not a particularly hard grade, although that's all relative, of course. But there's two and a half pitches in a row of chimney. And I just remember just wanting to die, just like feeling like I was going to throw up because just holding that tension, like pressing with the arms and the legs and probably over pressing because I didn't want to slide down a full pitch of chimney and all of this. And I just, I couldn't walk for days afterwards. I was looking for tiny little features in the chimney that I could just pull on because I just, I wasn't prepared for it. So 
yeah, I, I wish I had taken your advice and maybe done some CrossFit or some squats or something before getting into that thing. You'll have to check it out when you make it out to Vegas. I would say it's quite funny you said that. Actually, you just brought a really uh, funny memory back to me. I would say skill and technique in those positions, I'm, I'm sure Tom will back this up, is most important because so I, I have come from a gymnastics background and I've always had a very high conditioning level compared to my climbing peers and like sort of shoulders, upper body tends to be pretty robust. And like I said, I really like that um, style of training personally because I, I enjoy trying hard. That being said, my partner, Maddie Cope, she's, she's climbed free rider and stuff and she's done the monster off with. And we were in Caderesa in Italy. And at the end of the day, we were both absolutely knackered. We'd been climbing on these cracks all day, like hand jams, finger jams and stuff. We saw this little six meter off width and we had one size six and it wouldn't quite fit in. And Maddie nipped up and she made it look pretty cruisy and then lowered off. And I was like, oh yeah, I'll eat it. And I was like, I mean, I'm pretty strong actually. I can do this stuff. I, I like the bird. This will be a doddle. And I thought I was going to die the whole time. I was just like kept sliding slightly and Maddie's shouting up how to technically do it. And because I was strong enough to try harder, I was just getting more and more kind of full of lactic acid, but I couldn't quite get the technique to work on this specific size. This is a few years ago now. And I just remember going, come on, like you just watched her do this and you are definitely stronger at pushing two objects away from each other. Why can't you do this? And I was just getting more and more shaky and more and more burning. And like you say, just close to vomiting. And that was a good lesson in there. It doesn't matter how much conditioning your body can do. If you don't know how to climb, you don't know how to climb. So no uh, doubt. After that, yeah, she, she gave me a bit of a masterclass after that. And uh, she's taken the piss out of me ever since. Yeah, that makes, that makes a difference for sure. And especially just when the fear comes in and you start to slide down on chimneys, especially like you start to slide down. It's like such a, a kind of a scary feeling as a one kind of parting little anecdote. I was having a conversation with Alex about the route epinephrine, which he holds the speed record on. And so he climbed all, it's about 2000 feet with some kind of the exit ramp climbing. Maybe it's 1800 feet of class five and did it in 38 minutes. And, and it took me 12 hours. So by, just to lend a, a little perspective to the listener there about technique, overall fitness, and I guess the pesky thing of having ropes and gear can also slow you down on those types of climbs. Yeah, soloing is always going to be easier, isn't it? It's not like mouth. <laughs> That's right. That's right. He did it easy. He took the easy way out. That's what I'll remind him. Well, Ali, this has just been awesome, man. Anything that we didn't cover or anything that's kind of on your mind that you feel like... Um, you know, a message that needs to get across here? No, not really. I mean, I hope everyone listening enjoyed that and I tend to waffle a bit. So yeah, I hope, I hope everyone had a good time. What's your plan for the project then? I'm, I'm curious, having looked at your plan, when do you go well, back? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of waiting for weather right now. So it's just February and pretty unpredictable. It's just been raining nonstop for like the past month, but it looks like the week, 10 days ahead, we're going to have a good stretch of dry weather. So hopefully I can kick this cold recover from my Vegas trip and then get out there and put in some good effort. And it's only two hours away from me, so I can really watch the weather window and then just bust out there if a day looks particularly good. But I also, I'm kind of enjoying being in a training block. I think I needed the mental break from checking the weather all the time and obsessing over when can I get out there and will this be my last shot before the holidays and this kind of thing. So I've really been enjoying like 
hard moonboard sessions with the crew at the gym and just like laughing and cheering each other on. And maybe that's what I need too, because as you mentioned, maybe it's a little mental up on those last couple of moves there. So if I can just take some lightness and maybe a little less pressure into the red point day when I do get that weather window, maybe that's what I need. We'll see. Yeah, totally. And I mean, those things will take you a long way. And then also when you do go back and I think when we're in this pressure zone, I think I've said this um, before, but just kind of uh, write, write down the intent of the day and then think about how you want to perceive yourself in the future. Like, how do I want to remember this day, whether it's successful or not? And I remember the reason why I always think about that is some of my, well, one of my hardest ascents was some, actually Josh Ibbotson, who I've talked about training Alex, Josh Ibbotson, who's a young lad that I've known since a very long time. He's now a coach here. He works with Alex. He's Alex's coach alongside me. Really great guy. Happens to have climbed 9B himself. Wow. And he, yeah, he's 19. So he's the one who's coming up through the coaching ranks, but he actually turned up when I sent one of my hardest routes years and years ago when he was young, 14 or something. And I remember just talking to him and I was a coach at the time for the national team. And I thought, you're not going to, you're going to act like you want him to perceive good climbers in the future, whether I do well or not. And I want to be him to be, have a, I want him, me to be a good role model for him and for him to see a positive light to climbing. And my attitude that day was so much better for it. I ended up falling off, literally holding the last hold, took a really big whip off, and I came down and people were all quiet at the crags. They used to everyone stressing out and I had such a good laugh with everyone. I had a good laugh with Josh and his dad, and it was a really good time. I sent it next go and I it just floated up it and maybe I was ready to send it anyway. It was good conditions, but I've, that lightness of, of feeling and how I want to be perceived or want to perceive myself in the future goes a long way in those moments of pressure when you're when you want to do something and you want to climb it's just keep referring back to that what does my future self want me to be i like that what a great way to to wrap this up and i like putting the intentionality into it like beforehand not just kind of this general thing but just maybe driving to the crag and just thinking about like how do i want to reflect on this day how do i want this day to kind of go into the books well that's great ollie thank you so much man what a treat to to have this time with you thanks for answering some listener questions and also talking through my plan i'm psyched yeah yeah thanks very much And that wraps up the coach chat with Ali Tor. What a thoughtful, insightful guy, man. I love this. If y'all are patrons, you can see the full uncut video of today's conversation with Ali right over on your Patreon feed, which honestly I think is going to be really helpful for this one, especially as he was showing off how the carking works. That's arcing in the car, which by the way, I've been doing. Like I started, I've kind of rigged up this band in my car so that I can do these finger curls while I'm sitting in traffic. Anyway, to see the full video and to gain access to pro clinics, like how to train finger power with Dr. Tyler Nelson, how to develop bulletproof core with Dr. Favia Dubik, advanced bouldering with Dr. Allison Vest. Uh, actually, she's not a doctor, technically speaking, but she could be a doctor of heel hooks, and it's all in that pro clinic. We've also got performance hacks with Hazel Finley, moonboard with ravioli biceps, so many more. It's all over on patreon.com slash the struggle climbing show. Or if you're an iPhone person, you can just double click right there for your pro access. 
Now there's free trials on both of those platforms right now. So if you hate the sound of my voice, especially right now as I'm battling a cold, you can just quit after you burn through all that bonus content and you won't be charged a thing. Although I hope you stick around because I'm hustling really hard for you guys here and your support is really what keeps it all going. The Struggle is Carbon Neutral in partnership with the Honnold Foundation. Awesome. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Ryan Devlin, and The Struggle is a proud member of the Plug Tone Audio Collective, a diverse group of the best, most impactful podcasts in the outdoor industry. I hope your training and climbing are going great. Have an awesome day, and I will see you soon.